Hello and welcome to the Capital Hive podcast, where we talk all about entrepreneurship, business and experiences. Please give a warm welcome to our guest and let's just have him introduce himself. Hi Jens, I'm I'm Rolf Luxinger, co-founder and CEO of TwinkTech. We are a Swiss-based startup developing a new wind energy technology based on uh, drones on a tether. Yeah, that's what I'm up. Cool. Just give us a bit more introduction to TwinkTech. What is it actually, how it works, and when did you start and so on? Yeah, so uh, the, this drone on the tether actually flies like like a kite driven by the wind. And uh, this way we can reach higher altitudes where, where the wind is much stronger and more consistent. So we basically can produce more energy because there's better resources available. And on the other hand, we, we don't need a tower. We don't need a foundation as, as conventional wind turbines. So basically we can save 90% of the material from a wind turbine. And that makes us on one end mobile. So we can have a mobile wind turbine, which is very interesting. And on the other hand, this also has a, a very good impact on the cost of the electricity we eventually produce. A bit more about TwinkTech, if uh, that was also part of your question. So uh, TwinkTech is actually a spin-off from a Swiss research institute called uh, EMPA. Uh, we started there uh, about 10 years ago with some research projects, basically using <clears throat> kites or, or ultralight wings to produce energy from wind. And uh, in 2013, five guys from, from that R&D team founded together uh, TwinkTech as a spin-off. Now you mentioned kites. Was that actually where the idea came from, that you saw kites in the air and thought, why don't we make energy out of that? Was that the original idea? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the area we're in is also called kite power. Uh, and actually, yeah, that's that's uh, where somehow the idea comes from, that uh, if you basically play with a kite, especially with a stunt kite, which you can control, uh, you realize that with pretty small device, like like maybe one square meter, I actually used to build kites like, like quite a while ago when, when I was still a student. And, and uh, having just just a very small piece of fabric, basically going on a beach, it can actually drag you along the beach. So, so you realize that that small ultralight device can generate tons of forces. And uh, basically what we try now to do is uh, to use these forces to produce electricity from wind. And before you mentioned that there was a lot less material and with that following a lot less cost, how does the amount of electricity you make compare to how much cost it costs to make one of these compared to a windmill? So how much more cost effective are you compared to a windmill? Yeah, uh, I mean, first of all, I mean, I have to admit we are still in the development phase. So uh, of course. Uh, we, we can't yet really prove what, what our cost of electricity eventually is but uh, basically we see a potential that uh, 
with, with mass-produced systems, we can produce about at the half of the cost conventional wind turbines could eventually. And would there be a different set of locations? Because now you're based in Switzerland, and for those that don't know, I am from Switzerland. Um, and in Switzerland, we don't have that much wind, at least compared to Scandinavia, or if you go into the a big into the ocean. Um, so is there a different use case for what you have? Would it be usable in Switzerland? Like, I don't know, in the Alps or something like that? Yeah, I mean, it's true. Switzerland is, is not known as the, the most windiest place in, in Europe or on Earth. I agree. Um, basically, your question addresses uh, what, what is our target market. And yeah. in, initial target market for us is uh, what we call the off-grid market. So these are like islands, remote communities, mines, which currently produce electricity mainly with diesel generators at very high costs. And uh, these are, I mean, it's, it's not, not a core market in Switzerland. Actually, Switzerland has uh, an electrical grid to almost every mountain hut. Uh, but we're talking about places like, like Canada, where we're doing quite some business development. Uh, also, Australia has lots of mining there. Where, where we have good wind resources, but then also islands, particularly in, in the Pacific. And uh, that's that's our initial target market where the mobility of our system is a key asset. So basically it comes in a, in a standard shipping container, you can just deploy it there and operate. While a current, like a, a wind turbine to transport and set it up needs huge cranes. And that's just not economically viable in, in remote places to bring next to the wind turbine, also big crane there, or, or also on, on an island. So basically we can actually bring wind energy to these places, but that's just a starting market uh, with larger systems. And, and then eventually also with lower costs, we want to then also go to the utility market. So, so really produce power for the grid. And, uh, there we definitely also see some market potential in Switzerland, in, in particular uh, in the Alps, where uh, we have actually, actually there's really good wind in the mountains, but there's no wind turbines because they're not really accessible. But with our system, uh, we, we can much easier deploy them also in, in areas which don't have big roads, etc. So there we see some some potential also in Switzerland, but uh, I mean eventually also like like uh, in Europe, but uh, other places on Earth where uh, there's space and wind, and and in particular one very interesting application is that uh, since we can actually go higher than wind turbines, we want to use the wind above a wind farm. So we have a wind farm with wind turbines. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, they reach out probably 150 to 200 meters above ground. But actually, above there is even much more wind. And uh, we actually want to put our systems there to harness the wind above the wind turbines. So uh, basically, we can use places where there's already like infrastructure, already wind turbines, we can double the output. And uh, so that's kind of the second market segment and uh, the ultimate goal is really to to go offshore with our technology 
because again, uh, since we don't have a tower and we don't have a foundation, we can put our system easily on, on floating platforms and, and anchor them then. So, so there's quite some offshore wind with conventional wind turbines, but these wind turbines are always close to the shore because they have to be uh, anchored in the ground. So uh, you cannot deploy them in deep water. And uh, our system, as we can put it on, on floating platforms, because there's no tower which could flip over, uh, we can actually go to deeper waters and, and really unlock the tremendous energy resources, wind energy resources of the sea. And, and there we see a huge potential. And, and in the end, our technology can have a big impact on going towards net zero and uh, getting basically a sustainable energy world. So the idea is to make a lot of different systems. So that could be for offshore, like maybe the island of Svalbard and have it up there where there's right now coal or at offshore, as you mentioned. What is the main focus, though, right now? What are you developing towards? Is it these offshore islands that don't need big energy farms or nuclear power plants, um, but need electricity still? Or is it right now the idea to work on everything simultaneously and then just get, get them out as soon as they are ready? Uh, no, the, the focus first is really on this uh, off-grid market, so, so these remote places. And uh, the main reason is that uh, their cost of energy is, is really high, uh, much higher than uh, the cost of energy you take from the grid. And, and there's also, let's say, a tremendous need, tremendous need to get rid of these diesel generators. So uh, these people really look for, for new solutions and, and there's, there isn't any good wind solution. So that's why this is our initial target market. And uh, for, for then the utility, let's say utility scale to feed power into the grid, we also need then bigger systems. And uh, these we will then develop in a second step. Now question, now you say bigger systems, that will mean bigger planes, bigger strings, longer leashes. Wouldn't that inflict into the flight path of normal conventional airplanes? Uh, not really. I mean, uh, still uh, with uh, the bigger system, we're operating up to about 500 meters above ground. So that's not where, where let's say, commercial air traffic operates. But, but of course, we need, we need basically permission to operate our system but we're not really conflicting with, with air traffic. And now I, I've looked at your website, turned it to some of my friends, just as a preparation to this podcast. And one man, one of them mentioned, if this is on um, a mountain hill and there's a hiking path going underneath, he would not feel comfortable with walking under the plane. How do you prevent the plane from just coming straight down and hitting the ground and smashing? Yeah, obviously that's that's key that uh, we get this this uh, reliability and safety, and uh, yeah, I think the the most important thing is this is this is not a kite, but this is a drone. We also call it energy drone. So uh, what we're doing wouldn't have been possible like ten years ago. If you really rely on on uh, technology which has been developed for for drones, which basically control fully automated our system and uh, 
it's it's basically i mean if 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 your colleague is also let's say feels not confident to walk under an airplane then probably i mean it's just how, how you should think about it. i mean there's mm. planes flying above your heads and and people are used to it and and we definitely get to the same level of safety and reliability as as for conventional airplanes mm. now another thing i've been thinking about is if like at windmill there's like windmill parks where they just have them in rows or in like big grids um would that would that be possible with twin tech because in the end wouldn't they maybe sometimes inflict the strings like tether each other up or what would be the prevention for that yeah i mean that's that's definitely a plan to also set up uh, farms as it's called in the wind energy business and uh, obviously we need some spacing between the units but actually it turns out that uh, we can produce more energy per land area than with wind turbines. So the spacing we have and the power we produce is actually better than for conventional wind turbines. But we need to keep some safety distance. That's correct. But maybe maybe just me that didn't understand, but how did you prevent them from that those strings inflicting to each other? Let's say the wind blows them into each other. How do you, is there any prevention for that? Well, the wind always blows in the same direction, so they're all downwind. So it's not oh, yeah. possible that that one goes this way and the other this way from wind. So they're all yeah. going this way. Uh, that's actually how we're doing this. Um, it can obviously we can should not operate them very close to each other, but basically it could be a bit like this. So so yeah. one is operating here, the next here, and the next further down. So so we just can operate them that their basically flight envelope doesn't cross each other okay that's very interesting now a question i have had a lot of success with on this podcast that i've ever like is what's your biggest failure and now we talk in twin tech or the history of twin tech and what did you learn from it well biggest failure i mean uh, i say i mean maybe failure is the wrong word but uh, okay. what what uh what uh, really some are fully underestimated is the time it takes to really bring such technology to a commercial product. I mean, basically, uh, we started 2013, so so more than seven years ago. And uh, if I look back at our first business plans, we should now be uh, basically a company really creating profits. And uh, what, what I really realize is takes much more time, much more efforts, uh, much more people uh, to really build up such such a company, especially in this this energy field. So uh, I wouldn't say a failure, but uh, just just yeah. learning that uh, this this journey is much longer than than I think all of us thought when we started. And what is that? What what has been the, like the, the cause of this longest? Is this been a technical problem has this been a business problem or where where has the i guess the stop what's the biggest thing that's holding you back right now to already being a company that's making big profits well there's there's different different topics which some have a big impact i mean first of all we i mean we started with a kind of an idea what we have to put on this tether produce uh, energy and the more we 
learned and, and somehow made it better the more we realized we had actually to change that concept. So we also actually really started with kites, like even conventional surf kites. And so this is somehow the basis and we just had to adapt them a bit to our needs. But uh, at some point we realized that's, that's not going to work, will not be a 24-7 fully automated product. So, so we really somehow changed from a kite company with sewing machines and things like that, fabric stuff to a drone company. So uh, that was definitely something which just took time and, and, and lots of learnings. Um, that's one thing. And, and the other thing is, uh, I think right now we are definitely limited by financial backing. I mean, uh, mm. it's just, just we need now r real money to, to build this first product. And uh, just just take so much time to line that up and, and uh, so the resources we still have are, are limited and we cannot develop the technology at full speed as we, as we would wish. And is that caused by the Corona crisis or is that something that is just a natural stage in how you're developing further as a company? Um, yeah, I mean, Corona hasn't made it easier, I would say, but uh, I would say that's not the, the root cause. It's just basically, um, if you if you develop hardware it's hard to get venture mm. capital because it takes time and uh, it's it's just some of the time cycles are not really good match with with vc it's one thing and uh, i mean what's what's also hard is this clean tech area where uh, a lot of uh, investors have burned let's say 10 years 10 15 years ago there was kind of a hype uh, mm. But a lot, lot of people lost their money uh, at that time, and some are there now very skeptical and, and shy away. I think it starts now to rebuild because people really see this. This is a huge issue we face with this uh, climate crisis. But uh, yeah, I think it's just not this typical, let's say, venture capital topic. And mm. uh, and and in the end, we have to build up the the trust, the credibility and the concept, et cetera, et cetera. And this goes step by step, but it's not just like boom, up. Mm. But because what I'm thinking is that the clean energy sector is someone that a lot of people are looking forward to. If you look into the clean energy index, uh, those are growing immensely, being invested in quite a lot. So I'm thinking, that, do you think that's a benefit for you that you're in that sector because it's something a lot of people are looking forward to because that's what we're going to need in the future or do you think that it is um in some way of course a negative it's always a positive to be in a sector uh, but a negative that there's so many companies trying to come into that sector and trying to build something that helps us be more sustainable yeah there's definitely large competition there i mean uh but, but uh, I think that's good. Competition is always good. Um, what's definitely good to be in that sector is there's quite some, let's say, research money in this sector, which uh, also helped us a lot to somehow do these development steps as we've done over the past years. Um, what's, uh, yeah, I mean, makes it a bit difficult is, and, and, uh, is, is that energy is quite a political topic in the end. Uh, there's lots of subsidies and politics going on. So 
it's not like a really free market, if you wish. And uh, that also complicates a bit the case for, for, for investors. So uh, there's, there's pros and cons. I mean, overall, I, I think I will not complain. Um, in the end, it just takes a time and, and we need to find the investors which have more this long time perspective and really can say, look, okay, this might really take another 10 years from where it's now to really be a big thing, but what we believe in it and we will follow and support that. And uh, obviously that's not the, the big crowd of investors. They don't think like that. They want to have a return in after five years of 10X, something like that. And yeah. it's something we just can't provide. But uh, I mean, it's clear that this, this topic is here to stay for the next 30 years. And, and everyone is aware of that. And uh, in the end, uh, good projects, good good ideas will, will find their money and their way to bring mm. it to the market. Now I'm thinking, aren't like companies, let's say Exxon Mobile or Total, interested in investing in something like this to offset their carbon emissions so that they have an investment, a share of, of Twintech and then invest money into a development like this so they can be prepared for the future. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of interest from different party. I mean, the, the main feedback, it's too early. So mm. they want to see, let's say, the company developed further, closer to the market. So it's this kind of a bit chicken-egg problem. Um, I mean, in the end, we are not basic research anymore where at least in Switzerland, there are lots of pots to apply for grants, uh, but we're also still far away or, or quite far away, depends on how we see it, from, from the market, from a commercial product. So, so we are in this, what is called the, the value of death, which uh, is, is in, in clean tech hardware, very deep and very long. And uh, that, that's a bit the issue. But definitely, I mean, we talk to a lot of people who, who really see the potential and find it really interesting. It's just, uh, it's a bit too early. <laughs> let's let's follow that up, uh, keep in touch. And uh, yeah, when the time is right, uh, they will be in. And when are you thinking that you'll be ready to go to market? When is that time for you? Yeah, right now we think it takes about another three years to mm -hmm. really have... Uh, let's say a first system on, on product scale, and then to really roll out, it might take, might really go to 2025, 2024, 2025, to really have have a kind of a series production set up and, and really get hit the market. Mm. But now I've seen, been on your website and seen the video you have uploaded of the kite flying around in some mountainous area. What 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 still needs to be worked on that one? Because that one flew and it flew up and down and looked like it made energy. Huh. What was still missing on that plane so that it actually would work as a full system? Uh, the the main thing is, uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's the proof of concept. Uh, so we can fly all modes of operation. We have developed the control software. So I mean, that's something you can't see, but this flies fully automated. These these pumping cycles it produces electrical power. So that's all good. The the key thing is that this system is still way too small for a commercial product because. Uh, comes in the end all down to this cost of energy. 
And uh, as it turns out, this is pretty similar as to wind turbines. Actually, the bigger the system, the lower the cost per kilowatt hour produced. So we need actually to have quite big systems to be really attractive in the energy market. And uh, that means we just need to scale that up, make it all bigger. And uh, that needs time and money. And uh, that's that's where we're at now. Hmm. Now, one thing I just thought about how I actually got to you is over a series I've been watching on YouTube from the Swiss national uh, television called SRF Einstein. And how did you get onto that? Was that something you applied for? Were you invited or how did that happen? Um, yeah, basically we know these guys since many years. I mean, they, I think that was the third show on Einstein on us. I mean, they, uh, we started initially with, I started actually around 20, 2006, still in this research institute building special kites made out of fabric. So at that time we, I was developing new lightweight structures and we were building kites and then they, they featured us in, T, in Einstein actually the first time. And uh, that was actually also for our startup, pretty important in hindsight because uh, uh, Corey, our CTO and co-founder saw that show also on Einstein. I didn't know him by that time but he was working in another uh, research institute and uh, he had similar ideas uh, about using kites to produce energy and he contacted me and then uh, we saw that it's a perfect match because uh, we were focused on the flying part and his interest was more on the thing on the ground, how you can then convert the, say the mechanical energy into electricity. So uh, that was definitely instrumental to set up uh, Tech with this team and uh, so that was the first thing and uh, I don't know how they came upon us I mean obviously we also up once in a while in the news I mean we have been in NZZ, Tiger, and I guess these TV guys somehow also see what's out there and uh, but since then uh, there was then another show about three years later where we actually already were flying on uh, on, uh, on on Chasseral, so that's that's also the, the mountain you see on the video uh, with, with the first prototype, which really looks much different than what we have now. And uh, yeah, and then they came again and uh, featured us again. So uh, in the end, I think it's uh, somehow you need to know the guys, they need to know you and then uh, they approach you or you approach them and then at some point there's a fit and then they come make an extra and now just to quickly clarify entertainment and tagesschau or tageszeitung are swiss uh, newspapers so um uh, yeah just to clarify because we have a big international audience uh <laughs> it's clear to me what they are of course but not to everyone around and what i'm what i'm just thinking about the one i thought i saw you already had something flying was a white like it looked like a glider plane was that the second one or the first one then that's the, I mean, uh, the, the one we have, which looks like a glider plane, that's, that's the one we currently hmm. really develop. And that's our latest prototype. Yeah. Okay. And so the first one was really, a, really a kite with fabrics and stuff like that. 
the second one was kind of a mix between a fabric kite and a, and a plane. And uh, now it's really a plane or, or a drone, if you wish. And one thing I just want to, what's like a big myth about your, like the, the, the energy industry you're in? Because it's a big hype thing and a lot of, go, a lot of people think it's going to be the next big thing. But what is a big myth about it that is completely wrong? that you have learned through the time making TwinTech? About about the the energy sector or-, or Yeah, the clean energy what? sector more of, uh, more, more uh, yeah, more detailed. Ooh, big myth, uh, I don't know, hard to say. I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, what I would say is kind of a bit the myth is that uh, let's say, a lot of people say they, they will support that. They want to have disruptive projects, things like that. I mean, and, and they have it on their web page and, and we look for these disruptive things. And uh, if you then go there and say, look, we have a disruptive thing and you feel like this is a perfect match, then it turns out, yeah, maybe that's a bit too disruptive. Or, or uh, in the end, there's still uh, some, uh, yeah, invest in in let's say software or, or in this kind of incremental steps so i would say definitely there's quite a let's say the, the perception you might get if you just just look what people tell and and what they actually do is is uh, quite different i think that's a great way to move on to the last segment of this podcast our five standard questions I'm actually not sure, did you get those or did we make these after we communicated with you? Um, I think you sent me some. Uh, but, All right. Uh, yeah. Maybe they're not, not fresh in mind anymore, but that is just perfect. So what is your biggest regret buying or investing in? And by this, we do not mean like the Apple stock or investing in a startup, but more something sentimental. So this could be an expensive car, an expensive Swiss watch maybe. Uh, something you regret putting this much money in or time for that matter yeah yeah i'm i'm, I'm thinking more in terms of time than money mm. <laughs> when i think about investments um yeah biggest regret uh, i don't see there's there's much regret i mean hindsight in hindsight i would say i also made a phd physics mm -hmm. i studied physics and uh, i would say i mean was was very interesting and the cool stuff there but probably i mean in the end I also invested a lot of my energy and time into that and in hindsight i probably would have rather started with, with my first startup at the age of 25 than, than doing this phd all right and now as to a good segment over now is to what's your best investment? Again, not a startup or a stock. Best investment? Well, could be a book. A lot of said books. Books have been a lot mentioned. Yeah, I, some something different pops up. So I also, I mean, I I have a house and uh, where I live is my family and we also have a garden. And I think always probably one of the best investment is I, I plant potatoes actually did this last Saturday and uh, you put in one and you wait three months and you have 10 
uh, <laughs> I think in, in three months. So, so I think that's hard to beat in terms <laughs> of uh, investment. That is a funny answer we have gotten for the best investment. And this is maybe something if you haven't prepared, hard one to answer, but maybe not. What's your favorite quote? Favorite quote? Um, uh, there are several ones. Obviously, it depends mm. on, <laughs> on the situation. Maybe but in the entrepreneur maybe, business sector, maybe that's where we are. Yeah, let's let's say one uh, it's fit probably more a bit for engineers or, or mm -hmm. people who have a mathematical background can really understand. But uh, I even don't know who, who, who made it up. I saw it once on, on a toilet, written in a toilet where I studied DTH. But it's, it's uh, says uh, life is complex because it has a real and an imaginary part. And uh, mm. so, so those who know there are complex numbers which have a real and an Im imaginary part, and uh, also see this quite—I mean—resonates uh, quite, quite a bit to me now, also in a startup, because uh, there's kind of the imaginary part, the vision, which obviously drives the whole, the whole company, the whole team. But in the end, there's also the real part, which is really the hard part. And, and uh, that makes it complex. That's a good answer, because as I see it, like this is not a start of the podcast, but it is a lot of work. And when I started this, I thought I'd just be sitting down recording the podcast and that would be it. But as there is, there's a lot behind the podcast. You just don't make five a day and then upload that. So I can definitely re resonate with that quote a lot. But let's move on to the next one is what's the weirdest way you have made money before or the most unusual maybe is a better word uh money yeah i had quite some jobs as a kid i would say um maybe one pretty unusual maybe these days at least as i when i was 14 i had a, a small motorbike um and uh, at that time there was i was living in a, in a small village and uh, basically there was a guy who came to that village who went from house to house to sell like like stuff for for the household like soap and things like that and uh, basically he then just took orders and uh, somehow he needed a guy then to distribute that thing like months later to the people so uh i he some i don't know somehow this went over my mother but uh, somehow he, he was looking for someone to distribute that and uh, since i had this motorbike and i knew obviously all the more or less all the people in the village then once per month there came a big truck with tons of packages and the list and and I just had them to distribute that and, and collect the money. And, and in the end, sent that money to the guy. And uh, for me at that time, that was kind of pretty normal. But these days, it sounds a bit weird that somehow at 14 years old just gets and I've owned tons of, like, say, products, which he just distributes and, and in the end just sends the cash to some guy. That is, it's a funny one. What we have had, I must admit, it's not the weirdest or our most unusual. You don't get that prize today. Um, but it's a cool one. I've not heard that one before. 
but let's move on to the last one to round off this podcast. What's your number one bucket list goal? And because we are still in Corona, we're going to forget about Corona because it's more fun if there's just no Corona and we can travel and meet friends. So what's your number one bucket list goal right now without Corona? Number one, yeah, I definitely would say to get get Twink Tech flying. Okay. And maybe something more personal, something that hasn't to do with the business? Yeah. Number one, have more time for my, let's say, hobbies, so to speak. I think that's a great way to segment into ending this podcast. Is there any final words you would like to tell the listeners before we before we end the recording for today? Uh, final word. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say if, if you have uh, ideas also setting up a startup, just go for it. I mean, it's it's incredible journey, uh, but uh, it's definitely worthwhile to check out. So try it out. Hope you enjoyed this podcast and we'll be back with another episode next Saturday. See you then.